You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 106. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures mate for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. All right, everybody. So today we're talking to Luna Matadas. Luna is a sex and pleasure educator with over 10 years of experience in sexual health and wellness internationally and locally. Uh, She teaches people how to build better relationships to their bodies, practice empathy with their partner's insecurities and needs, and how to get curious about their erotic imagination. Luna is the creator of Peg the Patriarchy, which may be my favorite brand, just purely by the name, Meditate, Medicate, Masturbate, and Fuck Like a Goddess Brands. I take it back. They're all pretty cool brand names, right? And so today, we're going to be talking about something that I think uh, is really important and something I think that a lot of us struggle with, especially in kind of the Russian hecticness of everyday life, which is staying present during sex. So we're going to talk about some of the main reasons people don't stay present during sex, signs that you're not staying present during intimacy, some tips for staying more present during intimacy, how to prepare ahead of time going into intimacy to set up to be more present and interactive with your partner. And if you notice your partner is not present during intimacy, how you can best support them in getting that back. So we're going to dive into all that and more. I think you're going to have a lot of fun. And without further ado, let's hop in. So we'll read your bio when we do the intro, but unofficially, like what is it that people should know about you? Yeah, well, I'm I identify as a, a sex and pleasure educator. And so that means that I'm definitely interested in all of the the sexy and and physical and erotic things, but the pleasure part of it doesn't necessarily have to be sex oriented. So, mm. I love that we're talking about getting back into our bodies today because that's that's totally a, a big part of our our sensual erotic energy and and using that as part of our sex and non-sex activities. So, I I really got into teaching pleasure after I'd been teaching sex ed that was from a kind of a public health perspective for a really long time. And so disease reduction and education around condoms. And I taught in Eastern and Southern Africa and all parts of Canada. And no matter where I was in the world, people would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, how do I get her to do anal? Or how do I give a better mother? <laughs> and so like, they really were just more curious about pleasure. I could, I could talk to I was blue in the face about condoms. And so I really saw this gap in helping people to connect to just how much diversity and um, joy there is in pleasure. That is awesome. What a great place to come to teaching about pleasure from because you already have all of the the safety background you know coming into everything yes exactly so all of that was was a great and it's so important as well that folks tended to you know want to really deal with the stuff that they were learning from mainstream porn and and so that was their only really entrance into how do I do the thing? And so I'm busy telling them how to do it safely. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but how do I do the thing? (laughs) So what does pleasure mean to you when you say that, you know, you're really more focused on the pleasure part of it? Yeah, I think for me, pleasure is so much broader than just including sexual pleasure, which we usually define as orgasm. And so pleasure can include intimacy. It can be about connecting to someone or connecting to yourself. It can be about being curious about your body and enjoying new or different sensations. And it can also be about relaxation. So something that can really help you find restoration in your energy. I love that definition. So I think that plays a lot into sort of what we're going to talk about today. When we were discussing what we were going to like talk about, the idea of, you know, staying in your body and not getting caught up in your mind and really focusing on being present during sex, 
how do you feel that, you know, pleasure plays into that? I'm curious. Ooh, yes. I, I think that when we sort of get into our heads and out of our bodies during sex, it creates this disconnect that kind of shuts off a lot of our opportunities to take in and receive or give pleasure. And so we start to um, create these veils between what's actually happening and what our perception of things that are happening. We start to experience things like shame. And it's really hard to take up space in our pleasure if all of this noise is around us. And am I doing this thing? Is my body the best body that I could have uh, the best sex in? Is is my partner liking the way that I'm performing? And all of these things sort of distract us from pleasure. The things that add to our pleasure is feeling like we belong in these sexual experiences and that we can take up as much erotic space as we want with the bodies that we're in. And so I often, I struggle with body shame. Lots of folks struggle with body shame. And uh, that's one of the entry points where we start to lose our ability to be receptive to, or even just feel okay receiving pleasure from our partners. So I'm curious, what, what are some of the other reasons you're, you're talking about body shame? And I can definitely see that being a big one. What are some of the other reasons that you find that people don't stay present during sex? Oh, yeah, there's so many. I think every time I, I teach a, a class about staying present, folks tend to have the same types of distractions. And so there might be stress. And so whether you're dealing with stress from your relationship or just your your household or work or something that's really taking up that energy that you might use for relaxation or for pleasure. And you're kind of thinking about your to-do list and the 75 things that people uh, expect of you. And so that that makes it really hard to sink into a moment where you're supposed to experience joy. Another big one for folks is performance anxiety. So whether that's keeping it hard or getting it hard at all, uh, whether it's about having the orgasm from the thing that the person is, is trying to do to you or give to you, there's a lot of pressure to, to perform in certain ways. And instead of sort of just like going along for the ride and enjoying the pleasure that comes from it. What do you feel separates those who are able to kind of get out of that space from those who get stuck there? Because I think really, you know, it's not a matter of who doesn't stay present during sex, but like how often, because all of us do, like all of us end up in spaces where we get distracted or we get pulled away from being able to really focus in on being intimate with our partner. So what separates the folks that this is a regular thing and this is a thing that impacts them regularly versus the people who have like those moments and are able to kind of like shift back. Yeah, I, I think there, there are a few characteristics. I think lots of us struggle with receiving and, you know, if you tell, if you give someone a compliment and they're like, oh my gosh, no, but I got this shirt for $5 and I hardly ever wear it. Like they can't just say, thank you. Yes, I love this shirt as well. And so we struggle with receiving attention. We struggle with receiving compliments. We struggle with receiving pleasure. And so it's, it's hard to kind of have that mutual reciprocal erotic exchange if one of us is, is not that comfortable with receiving. And as soon as we feel anxious about receiving or do we smell bad or do we taste bad or, you know, are we performing in the way that we want? We get into our head and then also create anxiety around that because you don't want to be the one that's checked out during sex. And so you feel then shame on top of shame. I think also folks that have less trouble kind of staying present during sex, they, they have a relationship to their own pleasure and their own body. And whether that's through masturbation or whether it's even just through feeling uh, comfortable taking up space in their sensuality, they tend to also know how to come back to their body when that happens. And so if they get distracted, they're able to identify what sensations or what actions or activities can help bring them back into the moment. I also think folks that are curious about their bodies. And so, you know, if you fart during sex or you pee during sex or you do that, you know, it's, there's not this idea that the, the body has to be in perfect performance or, or a sanitized version of, of itself during sex. And so they can kind of let go into just being human and, and really just allowing their partner to be human. And when we do that for ourselves, we also give the person that we're having sex with permission to do it. And we almost invite them into their own humanity of their body. 
So this is this is a really interesting discussion, actually. So you know, beyond the the traits, you know, Cass was talking about traits, but you know, I'm more interested. What your thoughts are on different situations for different people? And I guess the easy way for me to say that is like, so you know, myself and Cass, we've had this discussion a couple of times, but I switch. When I'm having sex, generally, I don't have an incredibly hard time getting out of my head. When I'm topping, I generally don't have an incredibly hard time getting out of my head. When I'm bottoming, though, which is weird because it's the time that, like, I don't need, like, I'm not responsible really for what happens next. I actually tend to get really into my head during those times. So for me, the biggest, I guess, struggle to be present comes when I'm bottoming. Like, do you find that for some people it's kind of situation dependent as to when that becomes an issue? Yeah. And I, I, I love hearing that, that sort of description about yourself on how power can kind of influence, you know, whether or not you're, it's easier for you to stay present. I'm, I'm similar. I think when I'm topping, I can, I can be in my head in an, a very like intellectually erotic way. I think of it like an intellectual panty wedding. <laughs> and uh, when I'm, I'm bottoming, um, it, it, I can get out of my head, but I tend to start in my head and it Mm -hmm. would take things like really intense sensations or a really good activation of my erotic imagination and fantasy, dirty talk, that kind of stuff to, to really encourage and like seduce my senses back into the moment. So for some people, feelings of vulnerability or surrender can kind of want or inspire them to want to, to leave that space. And so they start going into their head and uh, looking for ways to not consciously but just sort of like looking for a distraction from the intensity of of that sensation and then i think for for other people it also depends on on the relationship dynamic some people feel really comfortable you know letting themselves be super free with their regular partners or their more intimate partners and maybe during casual sex they might have trouble getting out of their head and into their body so feelings of emotional and physical safety can can also affect how comfortable we feel to to leave that space see it's really interesting like for me and and i love the way that you described it because that for me is one of the huge i guess really one of the big draws of subspace is that that's the point at which i'm i'm no longer in my head i'm zoned in to what's going on and you know it's funny because for me like i don't i don't personally feel for me like it has to do necessarily with a power or a vulnerability end of things so much as just I don't have anything else to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like when I'm topping, like I'm, I'm focused cause like I'm doing something, you know? And when I'm, you, you talked about, I guess, receiving earlier, it's like, okay, but I'm not doing anything. And now that I don't have anything to, I guess, occupy my thinking brain, maybe, yes. you know, it just kind of is like, Oh, well, huh? Like, I think I think more about what's going to happen next when I'm bottoming than I do when I'm topping, which is weird when you think about it. Yes, yes. But I I like that. I like because I think one of the the strategies I I suggest for folks is to find something that that can help anchor you in the moment. And so for some people, that's activating one of their their senses. And so it might be having something that you're holding or something that you're wearing or something that you're listening to. And that activation of like doing something can help you remember that, hey, oh, yeah, I'm like in this moment and I'm, I'm receiving this thing. I also think that when I've topped bottoms that that get um, distracted quite easily, if we use tools like teas or contrast, it, it can help kind of mix things up so that it's very hard to get distracted when you're anxious about what's next. And so you're kind of like baited breath for what's coming next. And so we can help our bottoms into those spaces by using those uh, techniques and kind of slowing things down. Um, for some people, the void makes them a little bit more their uh, potential for their mind to wander. And for other folks, it feels like, oh, like what's next? I don't know. That's funny. So that's actually one reason I like music when I sing. I don't know if we've talked about this, but that, that's mm-hmm. one. I don't know if you noticed, I don't care so much when I'm topping, but when I'm bottoming, I really like having music on. And that's actually a big reason why. Yeah, you've you've mentioned that quite often. And also just that, you know, depending on the music, it can also kind of put you into a, a mindset depending on where you're at with it. Like, like metric is sexy. That's music we've listened to during scening a lot. We yeah. had an old partner who's responsible for that, that association. <laughs> But like harder music, you know, gets you more into a a headspace of of being rough. So, 
Yeah, that, that's really interesting. So would you mind sharing maybe an experience that you had where you were experiencing like not being present, not being able to stay mindful while being intimate with a partner and sort of like what lesson you learned? Oh my gosh, yes. I, I feel like when I first started really trying to enjoy receiving oral sex. I was like, maybe I just don't like oral sex. Maybe I don't like cunnilingus. And I realized that I totally was worried about how I taste and how I smell. And I think we have like a society that tells people with vulvas that you're supposed to smell like lavender and roses. And so I was internalizing a lot of that that shame that that's out there. And I didn't even realize it. I was just like, oh, do they really like it? Do they? I was worried about if my partners were enjoying it. And then I was also worried that I wouldn't be able to, I was thinking of it at my orgasm as a reward for their performance. So if I couldn't come from what they were doing, I was worried that then they would think they weren't good at it. So I'm in my head with all of this stuff and worrying about them feeling rejected. And so of course, of course I couldn't relax into it. And I was lucky enough to have two partners, one that one popped their head up from between my legs and said, oh, it takes you a long time to get there, doesn't it? And I was like, what the? <laughs> like, it was such a wake up call about, wow, I don't want people who are embodying some of these thoughts that I'm thinking who are actually thinking it. And then I had a, another partner who noticed and, and was really like, you know, I could be down here for as long as you want. Like, I love this. I'm enjoying. So that enthusiasm allowed me and, and gave me permission to relax. And so I stopped worrying about what was happening. And I actually tried to enjoy the sensations by also coming into contact with my, my person. And so that was through verbal affirmation. That was through like, you know, asking them like, oh, like, do I still taste good? Like, are you still enjoying it? And them being really enthusiastic. Now I'm thinking about you. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. What are you well, thinking? And how you have a harder, uh, easier time staying present for that with female partners than male partners. I do. There's a lot of, well, there's a lot of background. And, and part of what, you know, Luna was just talking about is there is this idea, and some of it stems from, for me personally, that like getting oral from cisgender men is like, a reward. Like that was something that was like socially put on me as a, as a young person, which is like, you know, men don't really like to eat pussy. If they're eating your pussy, like, you know, you should be really thankful for it and put on a show and et cetera, et cetera. So like that was a lot of pressure. Whereas like with women, it was like, you have a vulva. <laughs> Like, you know, it does not always smell like, you know, this and you don't always, you know, it doesn't always look like that or there isn't these ideas of like what that's supposed to be like versus porn. And it was easier to kind of get in that space. So, yeah, there's I think also it's it's very partner dependent, too. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I had the the same experience with receiving from women. It was a, a completely different vibe and uh, joy. I wasn't I wasn't connected to some of those narratives that that you spoke to where we, we were told that this is something that they do in order to get to penetration or that it's about them like feeling like they, they gave you or did something for you. So <laughs> you can't see Rigel's face. Rigel just had like, like sad face. Oh, it's just sad. <laughs> That's because Rigel really likes giving oral. So Aww, sad, yeah. sad associations, sad associations. <laughs> so I'm curious, Luna, do you find that when you're talking to people about this, do you find that there is a connection between that skill of, you know, I guess kind of generally staying present in the world and being able to stay present during sex? Or does it tend to be something that you have people who might be perfectly good at staying present day to day, but you know, there's something about sex specifically that tosses them. So is that kind of a skill that transfers? You know, I, I think if we, we are able to practice like staying present in kind of regular tasks, but connecting it to our, 
our sensuality. And so you could have a sensual dishwashing. You could have a sensual toothbrushing. It's about kind of tuning into the sensations that, that are happening while we're doing an activity. So yeah, I think people that, that know how to come back to themselves when they get caught up in their head definitely have a, an easier time. But I also think that the type of um, presence and mindfulness that we might practice outside of the bedroom comes into a different sphere of like intimacy and like specific sexual shame or ex- specific sexual experiences where we didn't feel good enough. So there's some like nuances to I think a sexual or an intimate space, but you can definitely try and practice even just just like noticing, becoming aware of, you know, you're doing something and you you don't even remember doing it. You're like, how did I, I often have done that with driving and I was like, this is not good. <laughs> like, I'm like, how long have I been driving and not paying attention to like where I am, especially on like long stretches of it. So there are moments where, where we can notice that we've taken our, our minds off of like the physical task that our body is doing. It's interesting. It, it almost sounds like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of this as we're talking, like, two pieces to the staying present. There's kind of that general ability to stay mindful in what we're doing. And then there's whatever those specific challenges are that we might run into and have coming up for us during sex, whether it's, you know, we talked about body shame a couple of times or expectations of like what something should look like or that kind of a thing. So it's almost like you have these two two distinct skills or well one's a skill one's i guess just another factor that makes up this ability to be present during sex yeah i think so i think i think you described it really well i think um being uh, mindful or having mind mindful sex um is a practice and and it's something that like we have to keep doing and and the more that we do it the more comfortable we feel like occupying space in our bodies during sex and then i think the other part is is part of sexual confidence which i think some people interpret as a an attitude or as a a vibe, but it's more of a, a feeling of unapologetically like taking up that erotic space and enjoying that erotic energy and not really thinking about uh, things like performance or things like body shame. I think sexually confident people just have better sex because they, they can get more satisfaction out of sex. They're not so worried about rejection or favor. I don't have to be the best. I don't have to be the worst. I just have to be a responsive partner. And and they also are just more playful. They, they kind of approach it as a, a curiosity. They bring this like, you know, childlike desire for imagination and, and play with the, the adult desire for like a sexual reward. So what, that's a great, what makes somebody sexually confident? Ooh, yeah. So sexual confidence is it's kind of about like looking at the areas where you find desire, you find arousal, you find pleasure and and teasing out that if there are areas where you feel unconfident in that. And so we sometimes take that unconfidence as um, a lack of skill. Sometimes it is. I mean, skills can help boost our confidence and our capability, but we take it as, as a lack. And, and instead of looking at it as a place of like, oh, like how come I don't feel like I just belong in the way that my body shows up and the way that my body can have pleasure. And so it's it's very similar to feeling like you can explore with the body that you have and, and the pleasure that you can experience in the body and the performance and the shape and the smells and whatever of the body that you have is all connected to your senses and, and your sensuality and your senses become like these little portals of pleasure that take in information for you and help you feel more confident because you're more open to pleasure. It's funny, you know, I heard you say that sometimes it has to do with the skill, but not a lot of times. And it's so funny how that's always the truth. You know, one thing just when we're talking to clients about relationship stuff is so often it's not, it's not the strategy part of it. I mean, a lot of times it is, but a lot of times it's, it's all that mind trash that's in the way of, you know, doing stuff that you actually already know how to do. Or you should be doing, you would otherwise be comfortable doing. Yeah, I love that word, mind trash. <laughs> I think everyone that I talk to in workshops or in coaching is always like, well, what are the five ways that I can do the thing the best? And often I don't teach classes that are, are super, super technique based. Technique can be a part of things and understanding pleasure anatomy and like, where do you focus 
you know, touch or, or stimulation. But I think it's, it's so much bigger than that to feel really good in sex. I think communication is awesome so that you can adjust and as you're going along and everybody's body is different, but even if you're with your partner for 10 minutes or, you know, 10 nights or 10 years, there can be changes that, that are happening due to stress or aging or just different life stuff that's happening. And so being able to like come into communication with the body that's in front of you in an enthusiastic way is way better than like the five tips that you can get in Cosmo for whatever sexual activity. A hundred percent. So you mentioned that, you know, age and time and things changing. And we work with a lot of non-monogamous folks and it is, at least from what I've seen, it is, it is much easier to be mindful about your intimacy when you're in that state of NRE. And it's almost not even like an intentional mindfulness. It is, it's really easy to be sucked into the new and the fun and the excitement and to be able to be just involved in that new Whereas with relationships that have been established for a long time, there is that mind mind trash. <laughs> there is that stuff that is there. When it comes to to long term partners, like, is there a certain point at which it gets more difficult or more easy? Typically, as far as you know, with the things in the background or problems, like, is it? You know, is there a point where couples start having more difficulty being present with their partner? Yeah, I think there's there's so many things that that make it difficult to be present when our lives are so busy and, you know, we don't have a society that prioritizes time for pleasure. You know, it's seen as selfish. Self-care is seen as selfish. And so when partners get distracted by just the, the, you know, the normal burdens of life and being responsible for caring for other people, there is a lack of physical and emotional energy. I often have couples that come to my class that want to spice things up. And so they want to know, like, what paddle can they buy? Or, like, <laughs> how can they tie their partner up? And uh, there's often this trepidation about, well, if I try something new, I mean, it, it comes back all those shy feelings of, of when you first started dating. Like, will they still like me? And, you know, is this new thing going to help us feel reconnected to each other? And, and so I think taking classes and, you know, learning new things and experimenting with sex toys are, are great ways to keep that curiosity going for your desire. But I also think we lose a connection to ourselves through all of these life changes and stuff that's going on. And I know for myself, I was married for 10 years monogamously, and I totally lost a relationship to myself and didn't have really good communication with my partner and didn't know how to encourage that from him. And so it really left me feeling desireless. And, and that's why I was so desperate to feel desire from somebody else. And some of the things that we lacked include, you know, we didn't have lights on sex, so we didn't have uh, those moments of affection or adoration or flirting or teasing. And so when it came to sex, it almost felt like a, a chore. It's like a thing that you have to do or like, oh, this is the only moment we can do it. And so it tends to be, you know, just before bed and when you're carrying the weight of the, the mind trash of the day. And, and so there's no time to really sink into those sensations. And so people can interpret that as a, a loss of connection um, and a loss of attraction and desire to each other. I think folks are also always changing in their own relationship to what they desire and, you know, what kinds of fantasies they have. And you may have a fantasy that you're not comfortable sharing with your partner because they're your long-term partner. And if the, you share this fantasy about wanting to be spanked or tied up, does it say something about like who you are? Like, is there a pathology of like deviance in you that now your partner is going to discover? Um, so that can totally affect how folks really start to step into changing their sexual relationship to themselves and their partner as their bodies start changing, as their life starts changing, and just as their their needs for energy also start changing. Well, and you know, something else too with that, and I think you may have touched a little bit on some of this earlier, but you know, it's it's hard to stay present in the moment, present during intimacy when the rest of your relationship's falling apart around you. <laughs> And, and, you know, but, and I mean, that's, 
I don't want to say that's extreme because that's a lot of people are in that place. But, you know, beyond just that, that like there's relationship problems. I think a lot of people, as they're together a long time, if they don't have the skills to maintain that romantic connection and that romantic connection has died off and they're to a point where they're feeling, you know, maybe more like roommates than partners, it's hard to have really good, mindful, present sex with that in the background. Oh my gosh, yes. That's so true. It's it's hard to to show up and and to feel excited about sex or desiring about sex if all of that relationship noise is is unsettled and I think most of us don't ever have an opportunity to learn relationship skills. I mean, I think that should be like a high school class. Like forget algebra. When have I ever used algebra? Like give me relationship and like budgeting skills. That'd be great. But we we don't we kind of take everything from like the movies and we're looking for this like, you know, kind of a rom com kind of relationship. And and so it's really hard to hold space for each other's changing humanity and, and just the way that that we're relating to each other. So I'm glad that, you know, there are folks like you and folks like me that are, are trying to help people develop develop these skills to even explore like where where are the problems and like where is all of this being fueled from and how can couples um, and partners create more voltage for their sexual selves there you go you like mind trash i like voltage yeah okay yes. we got some good words here <laughs> so what are what are a few signs you know because it's something that can be the first step obviously to any fixing any problem is recognizing it so what are a few signs that you know, you aren't staying present during, during intimacy that people can notice and kind of use it as like, oh, like I need to pay attention to this. Yeah. For some folks, it, it expresses itself as kind of like rushing from like activity to activity to activity. And so a lot of us can get stuck in these these sexual ruts or these sexual routines. And so we know like, oh, we kiss our partner, then we touch their nipples, then we go down on them, and then we do this. And so it becomes the same routine over and over again. And some signs of, of folks checking out in those moments could be that maybe their mind is, is in it, um, but their body isn't. And so that's sort of a, a disconnect. So there might be you know, a desire to have sex, but their body isn't responding with the the typical signs of arousal, so wetness or hardness, or even relaxation, just even just noticing their body sort of tense. Uh, another sign is that people stop breathing. So they, they, they stop taking like deep, full breaths or their breath doesn't get audible anymore. And so we start to to notice a, either a constriction of it. Other folks will, will start to withdraw a little bit. And so they they don't necessarily want to sink into the activities. And so we've all had those moments where, you know, we have like quick kisses during the day and then we have like deeper kisses. And um, so feeling like one partner wants to go deeper than the other partner could be a sign of, of a disconnect and that one person might not necessarily feel comfortable like sinking into this space. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm, I'm just, I'm just sitting here thinking like, Sorry, I'm just working that into scene stuff in my head now. Mm-hmm. I'm like, huh? Yeah, no, that all makes that all makes a lot of sense. When people are in that spot, like they recognize. So maybe this isn't like an ongoing challenge yet, but it's they recognize, hey, you know, there's I'm I'm, I'm hitting one of those signs that Luna just mentioned. What's kind of the first thing that you would suggest that they do to get back in touch with that? Yeah, yeah. I think and I think this is tough for people. So I th- there are options. I think what I'd recommend ways if it's comfortable communicating. So even just being like, "Hey babe, can we take a break?" Can we take a pause? Can we do, you know, and if you, in that pause, it doesn't mean all of the erotic energy has to completely drop and reset to zero, but it allows you to come out of um, a space of worrying about what they're going to think or like panicking or uh, feeling anxious and just settle back down into a person that's in a caring space. And if you know that your partner tends to check out a little bit, even encouraging them to to take that break and, and asking, you know, like, Babe, do you need a break? Or, oh, can I breathe you back to me? Is there a way that that I can like bring you back into this moment? Another thing that that someone could do if they start to notice or they have awareness that they're they're checking out is to slow everything down. Just like slow it down and really tune into what the sensations are other than the activities. Because whatever kinky thing or non-kinky thing we're doing is really just a, a vessel. 
for all of our yummy erotic energy. And so if we're not filling that vessel, then spanking is just spanking. It's not necessarily whatever we want mood or flavor we want to put into it. And the, the other thing that, that someone can do away is if they, they don't feel like verbalizing or they don't want to, to pause things, it really helps to pick one of, of your senses. And so whether that's your sense of sight, and so you want to focus in on an aesthetic. And so if you look at your partner between your legs and you can just look at like how they're moving their head, or if you want to use your sense of hearing and tune into their moans, you want to put your hands on them so that you can have a physical anchor and feel how warm their skin is or how soft or hairy or whatever their skin is. And using our senses to be able to like give us evidence evidence, give us this erotic evidence that there is pleasure happening here. Did we notice? So what if it becomes, I guess, not just in the moment thing, but it's becoming more of like a, you're noticing that this is something that you struggle with regularly. Like what are, what are a few tips that you'd have for people who are noticing that this is something that they're struggling with, you know, not just here or there, but they're just regularly not present during intimacy. Yeah, I I definitely think that it can sometimes be easier to communicate about this this lack of of staying present outside of a sexual situation. So during a non-sexy time, like having a conversation with your partner, that can sometimes relieve the burden of feeling like, oh, I have to deal with this on my own. I'm broken. Why can't I do this? I'm reading all these articles and I still can't do it. You can allow your partner to, to hold space for you and just say like, yeah, like I'm trying to work on this and, you know, also relieve the the potential discomfort or confusion that they have that maybe they're not giving you the kind of pleasure that you want. Another thing, I think you mentioned it. I love this idea of having a playlist. And so curating for yourself, curate a playlist that's going to be like your anthem. You know, you're going to be like a sex athlete with this like playlist and it's going to get you into your mood. Another thing, and I like to do this too, is uh, to really, if you, you have the moment to connect with yourself sensually during the day. And so that might mean when you go to the bathroom and you wash your hands, taking a moment to meet your own gaze in the mirror. And uh, some people find affirmations really helpful. So it could be something like, I'm enough, or I'm sexy, or I own my desire, whatever it is. But being able to, to connect with your eyes, and even I sometimes smile at myself, or I wink at myself that can help you feel also a little bit playful with this reconnection and not make it feel like a project that that you have to take on. With all these things, if you're somebody who is struggling with this, because there's probably a listener or two or three out there, we, we see you. No, we can't see you. Who's probably sitting there going, well, this happens all the time. This must say something about my relationship. And if you were talking to that person, would you tell them that this is a a sign that maybe they're not compatible or this is a sign that there's something wrong in their relationship. Like, what would you say to that person? Mm-hmm. I get lots of clients that that also feel that way, and and they come at uh, seeing the sense of not being mindful as a, a dysfunction. Sometimes it could be. I mean, sometimes there there could be things that are unsettled in your relationship, and so there isn't that kind of trust to be able to sink into the moment. Or there's an argument you really want to have, and and you're not having it because of of whatever reason. Um, for other people, I mean, it's not that uncommon because we're we're not taught to be mindful during sex. We were taught that sex is about our bodies. And I think kink was really one way that I understood how sex can bring my erotic imagination into my sexual time and that it isn't just about my genitals and that it isn't just about, you know, having a body that's receptive, but that I can really like, I'm going to use the voltage word again. We can, we can really like up the voltage by engaging our erotic imagination. So for, for folks who feel that, that it might be a sign of something wrong in their relationship, you can start by um, examining like any of these narratives or beliefs that you hold that are preventing you from feeling uh, confident to either speak up about 
those issues or confident and safe in uh, being more present in your body during sex. And so you might learn something about yourself. You might learn that maybe you have a relationship to masturbation that has a lot of shame. And so you really don't know what your pleasure spots are. And so you're carrying that into your relationship where you're not exactly sure how to even receive pleasure or get pleasure. And that's causing a lot of pressure. I think it's it's something that I think is important for people, right, is being able to distinguish between these two things. Because as you said, it could be a sign that there's something going on in your relationship. It could not be. And I think I think a, sometimes when I'm talking to people, kind of a guide that you can start with with that, and it's certainly not the whole picture, but is, you know, you just ask yourself on a scale of one to 10, how, how connected are you feeling to your partner romantically outside the bedroom? And if that's a super low number, then that's probably a sign that there's some other things in this relationship that need to change. And if it's pretty high and it's just in the bedroom that you're having challenges, then it's probably a lot of this other stuff that we're talking about is, is you know, playing more into that. And I'm curious, talking about mind trash again, Luna, like, you know, you talked about beliefs a couple of times and I love talking about beliefs. What do you find are a couple of the biggest beliefs that people have that keep them from being present during intimacy? Ooh, yeah. I think we we believe that sex has to be orgasm focused and that that pressure to orgasm can often keep people like focused on it. And so it's like, we're trying to like use our body like a machine to like get to this orgasm. And so that can really limit us from like taking in, you know, the scent of someone's neck and getting turned on by that or receiving like our partner's fingernails through our scalp and just like enjoying all those tingles throughout our bodies. So I definitely like the belief that that sex is only about orgasms is, is one that's really limiting. I think the other belief that really stands out for me with with folks is that it that it always has to be that way that it always has to be um super uh intense that it it has to focus on you know marathon types of of sexual play or that it always has to be about everyone participating equally you know it might be that you're you're having trouble staying present during sex and so maybe you want to do a mutual masturbation session or maybe you want to watch your partner get off or maybe you want to uh, read an erotic story to your partner while they massage you and so sex can really look very different we we tend to have a narrative in society around sex that is like penetration focused a lot of times and it, it really doesn't have to be that way so you might be putting pressure on yourself to enjoy certain sexual activities that are just not your bag they're just not the things that are going to give you the most pleasure. I mean, I love all kinds of kinky things. And I think my favorite thing to do that connects me to people is kissing. I, I could kiss like for hours. That's like my favorite thing to do. And I think another belief is that when we're with partners, that we drop our relationship to our solo sex or our masturbation. Masturbation also doesn't have to be orgasm focused, but understanding if you like your genitals touched in a, a particular way, in a particular speed, and maybe there's a toy that you want to bring in or something else that just makes you feel really yummy and, and delicious and during partnered sex, we're like, okay, well, my partner has to do this thing. So you either have shame around masturbation when you have a partner or you have shame around bringing in the toy, bringing in the thing that you might have a perception that your partner thinks is competition instead of a, a partner in your pleasure. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's always interesting to hear when people are, are scared that their partner is going to be intimidated by a toy. That, and, and, you know, I, I know that I've talked to a, a lot of, you know, vulva havers and hearing like, you know, I really can't get off unless I use a vibrator. Like mm -hmm. I need, I need, I need vibration with my penetration and the level of fear they have to ask their partner to bring that in because there is that fear that my partner is going to feel some which way about it. So they'll go, you know, without asking and go without doing. And then, you know, that's where a lot of people end up doing things like faking orgasms and things, which then lead to a lot of other being up in your heads because then you're having to focus on the performance that you're giving. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's so true. And and I would be really resentful. And I'd be resentful at myself, resentful at my partner, and and just all of this vibe of like I'm not getting the pleasure that I know I could have. I was I was I want to throw one more thing in here. It's funny. I was thinking how you said like we have this idea that sex has to look a certain way and it has to be a marathon, it has to be this, it has to be that. I'm thinking about our partner. Mm-hmm. And I know that there earlier on was conversations that one of her blocks, I guess. So she is falls less on the libido end than Cassie and I. And I know that early on, one of the the discussions we had to have because it was, I guess, you know, a block for her was she was like, you know, I just realized like just because you two have marathon sex doesn't mean I have to have marathon sex. And like that was actually a, a thing for her for a little while where she's like, I didn't want to get involved in stuff because I can't go for that long and I'm not interested in going for that long. The, the words were, I really like to like get in there. I like to get off. I like to feel good and I like to get out. <laughs> and you guys like to have this like marathon stuff that like goes on forever and I'm just not interested. I was like, if you're going to tell the story, you need to actually I, put the words. better than I do. And she's like, you know, you guys do like this like marathon sex thing. And that's actually what she called it. And and so this idea. Was she talking to another partner when she figured yes, this she was out? Talking I feel like she was talking to one of to our else. other partners. Yes. And she was like, wait, I don't have to do that. And it was funny, like hearing her like talk about it. And then she's like, I don't wait. I don't I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. And we're like, no, you, you don't. But it's so easy to get stuck in a place where you think you have to live up to something, whether it is it's something that society tells you or it's something that you're seeing in your partner. I think, you know, polyamory has the benefit of us recognizing that different partners are are different people and do different things, but particularly people who are in like monogamous relationships where, you know, my partner is maybe a high sex drive person and I can't live up to what my partner's idea of sex is. Yeah, I, I love hearing like the relief of expectation from from your partner and just kind of saying it like it is and like this is not how I work, this is not how I function and I I want to to have pleasure with you too, but there's it's just like I can't contort to this. And I think yeah, for folks in in monogamous situations where there's either a mix of desires or even a, a mix of uh, libido or energy or interest, and and whether that wanes or it's just sort of how someone experiences their sexuality, that can be really challenging, and and it can even be challenging to talk about. It can it can bring up a lot of feelings of shame and not good enough, and what do we do about this, and stress, and having that that flexibility to meet erotic needs, and and whether that's you know having a, a non monogamous relationship or if it's about like really uh, using some creative communication and, and erotic play strategies to help meet each other's needs, it can feel like a lot of energy and effort. And, and so I think that's something that, that folks who really desire like the five things to spice up my, my relationship, we don't see our, our erotic wellness as something that, that we invest in. You know, we take care of our teeth and our bodies and all these other kinds of things, but we don't necessarily see that as, as part of our, our wellness that's deserving of our attention and time. I think that that happens a lot. We, we don't put, we don't, as you said, we don't put the effort there that we do in other aspects of our life. So what are some ways that folks could like how how can we put that sort of in the in the front end of what we're doing so that way it's easier when we're we're with our partners to be present like what can we do to make that a practice of sexual wellness Ooh, yes. I think, well, I think that folks who are listening to this podcast right now, is, that's a really good place to start because the more that, that you can keep your interest and, and really thinking about sex, not just about like when you're naked with your partner, but thinking about and getting curious about, oh, like, what don't I know? Because most of us don't know a lot and we don't have the kind of sex ed in high school is pleasure-based. And so we don't have these tools to be able to communicate or explore or get curious about our desires. And so we're, we live in an age where we have access to this and, and it's great to tune into podcasts, to webinars, all these different kinds of things, even if it's for the purpose of just getting curious. If you're like, why are people into feet? 
You know, why are people into bondage? Cool. You don't have to be into it, but opening up our minds in in that way can show us um, that there are options for us and that we're not just limited to what we know. I think also really delving into exploring where you do hold shame and because that shame may be something that you can work out on your own and and it may be something that you need to enlist like a coach or a therapist to to help you with. Lots of us have deep-rooted shame that is functioning on levels that we're not even completely aware of. I know I have that for sure. And uh, sometimes it comes to light in in situations that aren't ideal, like our sexy time. Mm. And I think getting sensual is so important. I think it's so important to, you know, if you, uh, we all lead really busy lives. And so if you've only got five minutes, that means maybe uh, taking a few extra minutes in the shower to really feel what it's like when your um, hands are massaging your scalp or you're like rubbing parts of your body and tune into what that feels like. If you are someone who enjoys dance or movement or something like that, like really just allowing yourself to feel free and take up space in your body. If you're someone that enjoys ambiance and maybe you want to ensure that you're tuning into your senses or even you can experience sensuality when you're having dinner. And that means tuning into the taste, the aesthetic, the uh, smell of your food instead of like watching Netflix and then, you know, sort of eating blindly, which I also tend to do. But we have these moments that we can reclaim that are just mundane, but we can reclaim them as sensual. So let me ask this, you know, what are some ways that people can, if they're putting this towards the front, yeah. Anyways, if they're putting this towards the front, <laughs> that they could. It's, it's just yeah, it's back, a problem with running a sex podcast. <laughs> Everything can be sexual. Rather than taking it in the back. Yeah. What are some ways that people can? We're gonna ask a question about that later. Can prepare before intimacy to set them up as so that they go into things more present with their partner and more present with themselves. Yeah, I think I always think sex starts at, at the beginning of the day, whether you're having morning sex or not. And and so that really taps into, you know, things that, that you can do throughout the day to make your partner feel flirty or, or feel desired or, you know, attractive. And so that can be through sexting, because when we also give people desire and we receive their joy of it, we get to feel kind of tickled that we turned someone on or we appreciated someone. So so having that that flirtation throughout the day and that could be even you know sharing with your partner hey like this is what I masturbated to last night or I can't wait to do this thing to you the next time we're together and then so dropping these like spontaneous desire moments can help keep that connection for myself I I try and I really have to get into my body before intimacy and so sometimes I do that through having the shower and then really like slowly and intentionally intentionally moisturizing my skin And so I allow myself to kind of soak in my own touch and I notice all, you know, whatever curves or bumps or areas that, especially areas that I don't like, I give special attention to those areas. And and that can help me feel just a little bit more accepting of myself and before I go into the bedroom. For other people, they can really benefit from, you know, kind of getting dressed up for sex. And so that means like wearing either cute lingerie or, you know, your favorite color of underwear or a collar or whatever it is that you kind of feel you can borrow sexual energy from. Like that thing looks sexy. So what would happen if I put it on? Now I am the sexy. So, yeah, I want to, that's all really good advice. And you have, you know, these conversations you had, I want to mention two resources to other, to people who may be listening to this podcast. One is we do have, what is is it? it, I think it's called dress to impress yourself. That's specifically talking about getting dressed Mm -hmm. up sexy. I don't have the episode number offhand, but I'll put it in the show notes. And then the other one is we actually have a whole podcast on because we were talking earlier about, you know, expecting things like your partner does. We actually have a whole podcast on dealing with differences in libido in your relationship. Yeah. And you just mentioned, you know, that spontaneous desire, but it's really important for folks to know, like, am I someone who sort of thrives in that spontaneous desire or if I'm somebody who thrives in responsive desire? And we'll put those links in the show notes when we give this an episode number. Those are great resources. Yeah. You know, I, I always like to kind of put myself in the, the headspace of like some of our listeners and what they may be thinking. And I know sometimes when we, we do shows like this where we're talking about these things that folks 
Well, we don't talk about, talk about this is, this isn't something that, as you said, you know, we talk about in school. Perhaps there's somebody who's sitting there who's like, you know, yeah, so I'm not present during sex. What's the big deal? Like, you know, what, what, you know, what, what, what's it really costing me? What would you say are some of the biggest downfalls of not being able to get out of your head when you're with your partner? Hmm. Yeah, I, I love that question because I, I think, you know, we don't always have to have mindful sex. Like, I mean, quickies are, are great <laughs> or, you know, like like really intense uh, physical things are, are great. And But if that's the only kind of sex that you're having, you could be missing out on different ways to get aroused, different ways to get pleasure, different ways to have orgasm, because we're not using then all of our erotic faculties. We're not engaging everything. We're just sort of like going to our go-to. So you kind of risk stagnation. You risk kind of just like getting used to a particular like pathway to your pleasure. Um, you can miss out on some connection to your partner because we, when we have partners that are, are responsive and when we have partners that are present, we also get to surf the sensations of our, our partner's pleasure. And so we get to take joy in their pleasure, creating this little mutually beneficial, like erotic circuit and just like going around giving, getting, receiving pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. And it also can stunt you from really expanding your erotic uh, sense of activities or the things that you might be into. And so if you're just like, oh, cool, like this is what like, you know, sex is, uh, sex can be so much bigger. But if we're not present during sex, it's really hard to tap into that that desire for expansion. Our erotic energy is the same thing as our creative energy. And so, you know, maybe there's fantasies that you didn't even know were going to turn you on. Maybe there's activities. Maybe there's something your partner wants to do, but you seem just quite content with like how things are. And so it kind of also imbalances the desire for expansion between the two of you and not just within your own sexual relationship to yourself. So this has all been fantastic. I, I wanted to see I'm, I wanted to see if either of you have anything else on this topic I, before we, we move on, because I have another question before the speed round that's going to be take us on kind of a left turn here. I'm cool <laughs> taking a left turn. How about you, Luna? Yeah, me too. These questions were fantastic. This yeah. conversation's so rich. I love it. Yeah, this was amazing. So let me ask you this and taking this back a second. Speaking of going in the back door. But I'm bummed. I, I was I'm curious because I you know I know you've got a, a couple of projects that you're working on and I saw this Peg the Patriarchy one and I was just super curious. Cassie, don't you have a tanner shirt that says Peg the Patriarchy on it? I do. I have a yeah. tanner shirt that says Peg the Patriarchy. I, I'm super curious about about what this project is, like how you came up with it. It's just uh yeah. So I, I actually, I coined Peg the Patriarchy about four, five years ago now. And so there, I wish there was a grander story, but I was high and I was like, I was like, Peg the Patriarchy. And I, at the time I was doing a lot of work around how do I make sure that my workshops are actually inclusive of all these different types of dynamics of that people might be experiencing that either threaten or intimidate their, their relationships. And so pegging... I mean, the term was coined by Dan Savage, like in the early 2000s, and it came along because folks, you know, cisgendered men needed a term to kind of combat some of the internal and external homophobia around receiving anal sex from uh, a woman with a strap on. And so, I mean, the term itself emerged out of um, a shame filled activity in order to give it space to be um, encapsulated by this fantasy of pegging. And so peg the patriarchy for me is, is very much a symbol of, um, subverting the current narrative of power that actually disadvantages like people of all genders. And so it becomes this little like metaphor of like, you know, like fuck the patriarchy, but like fuck it up the ass. So <laughs> yeah. And I, I ended up just selling one or, or two shirts and then it just, it just caught on, on fire. And I was like, huh, maybe I should like sell these shirts. So, <laughs> so it's become my legacy much to my mother's dismay. But <laughs> And I was at the doctor the other day and I had to, she's like, you know, I really like your shirt, but can you explain to me what peg means? And I was like, oh God. So, <laughs> like, so I'm unconsciously having to give people lessons on pegging wherever I go. <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah. Like I said, Cassie has, has a shirt and I was just like, I saw that. I was like, huh, that's, there's gotta be a story behind that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> 
Tannis has a couple of like funny ones. They also have the thing that says sticking it to the man, which Ooh, I like. I like yeah. that. <laughs> Since 19, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah, no, I just saw that. I was like, I have to. And you know, it's funny because you you talk and I'm, we could go down this road way longer than we're going to. But you talk about that being as kind of like a shameful activity. And you want to talk about something that even in the kinkiest spaces you still don't see much yeah. represented compared to how much it actually happens. We could, we yes. could take a whole detour down that road. Yes. Yes. There's so, even though the anus is like the great gender equalizer, like, like we all have a butthole. So like, I even find in swingers communities or yeah, kink communities. I mean, like even expressing any type of anal play or even like bisexual or, or queer cisgendered men, like going mm-hmm. into spaces, there's still a need to, or I guess a, a perceived need to like, sort of confine that desire and and so I, I teach a lot of classes on threesomes and so with threesomes we always get like the popular stereotype of like you know two bisexual women and and one man and 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 really like our desires are are so not limited to to what we see as like most popular yeah so okay thank you i don't want to like i said that would be we, we could have a whole other podcast episode on I'll that i'll come but... back for pegging yeah <laughs> Sounds I good. think that Cassie would not have. A, do, have we done a pegging specific episode? We did strap ons of Jackie, but that wasn't specific. But it wasn't specific to just pegging. I mean, we talked a lot about pegging. We talked a lot about strap ons. A lot of stuff with with <laughs> with, with strap ons. I think that would be a cool yeah. episode, Luna. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely have yeah, it back. Absolutely. That'd be fantastic. We could, yeah, we could talk that. more about. Yeah, about we could go down that whole. That whole road of, yeah, that, that, it is an interesting thing. Cassie and I have talked about this. We can go in the this. back door. We can go. In the back door. It was going in the back. <laughs> it was, uh, but yeah, Cassie and I have talked about that a few times about how interesting that is. And it does extend beyond just the pegging to at least locally for our community. And it has for a long time to any kind of like, I hate saying any kind because that makes it sound like it's related to pegging, which it's not, but to any kind of like male bisexuality uh, and stuff in the public scene. Yeah, that's a whole nother discussion. We should definitely set up another conversation either with both of us or me with Cassie. Yeah, Yeah. that'd be fun. So are you ready for the speed round, Luna? Anything else you want to throw in this mix before we hop in? No, I I think I'm I'm a little nervous and ready. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So, like I said, that's the problem with a podcast based on sex. Everything can become a joke. I think our partner half the time is just like, oh no, I shouldn't say. I think I know. She's like, she I live, I live with two teenage boys. I swear to God. Yeah, that's what she says. Boys. She's like, I live with two teenage boys, and I'm like, yeah, well, you're like, yes, yeah, living your best life. I mean, seriously, being a 13-year-old, 14-year-old boy that masturbates all the time, that is my best life. Like, really, that really is my best life. Yeah, yeah. No bills. You can just that's masturbate right. all day. Mom, mom makes my dinner, and I get to masturbate whenever I feel like it. That's, that's Someone else cleaned your sheets? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that validation, Rita. You're welcome. Uh, so let's dive into the speed round. The idea is to answer these things as fast as you can with what comes okay. to mind. So be at the topic. You should be really good at being able to just stay in your body and 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 spit these things out and not get too <laughs> caught up in there. Way to bring that okay. back around. Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> uh, so what is something you're not very good at? I'm not very good at rope. The best piece of relationship advice you've ever received? Oh, I think the best piece has been just like really be yourself. What are three things you couldn't live without? Uh, my vibrator, my vibrator, and my really comfortable pillow. <laughs> what turns you on? Kissing. Kissing turns me on. Tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. That eggplant is weird. <laughs> <laughs> A book you would recommend to our listeners? Witches, sluts, and feminists. I don't know what that is, but it sounds awesome. What it's is so your good. biggest fear? <laughs> Spiders. Hands down. <laughs> What's the most adventurous thing you've ever done? It could be a sexual thing or not a sexual thing. Ooh, I think the most adventurous thing, actually, when I, I left university and moved to Kenya for a year to teach HIV. Who is your movie, TV, famous person crush? Oh, my God. Salma Hayek. 
What's something you're working on now that you'd like our listeners to know about? Ah, I'm actually working on a, a sexual confidence group coaching course. Okay. And last question is, where can our listeners find you online? Yeah, they can find me at lunamatadas.com, which is kind of like Hakuna Matadas, but Luna. Um, <laughs> or on Instagram. I'm really active on Instagram at lunamatadas. Okay. And we'll put your we'll put the socials in the show notes as well so people can get that. Oh, and awesome. And they can find you. Yeah. That wasn't that bad. <laughs> you did really well. Yeah, you went through that. I think you might have beat our teenager. <laughs> we had him on the show a, a, a long time ago, and he's one of the only people who have made it through all the questions in sixty seconds. I think you. I think you might have. Might have. Might have. Definitely him. close. Yeah. <laughs> oh you my don't gosh, win so anything other than us saying that that's awesome. But Good job. Good what job. I was gonna gonna throw out there is that Rigel, as you were talking, was googling who si- Selma Hayek is, and I'm ashamed. I am so ashamed. Um, should I know? Yes, you should know. Well, she hasn't she been is. like around for a while. She was just like always my crush for a long time. So I'm, I hope I'm she just, does something. I'm just horrible with actors and actresses. You, you could tell me anybody, and I, I have no idea generally. Yeah, it's. It, I'm. I'm ashamed. It's. I'm like it's, that with music. Like I don't. I don't know the names of people, and I only knew Metric because I went to see them when they were in Toronto last year. And like, but I always loved their music, but I don't know the names of songs or artists. <laughs> we had a we had a partner who played the Fantasies album every time we screwed around. And you know, it's funny because, well, no, but, but, you know, you create those kind of associations for yourself. So that's something that gets me out of my head when we're about to scene or about to do something. Because for a year and a half, every time we played with this person, Metric was playing. And the funny thing is, it wasn't that great a relationship, but that, 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 that music association has stuck with me. So. Oh, that's good that the relationship didn't sour the music association. No, <laughs> no. no the, the, the music is like, it's sexy time. Uh, that's so good. We so always good. talk about everybody has that one partner, you know, the one that all the stories come from for the most part. That was, that was ours. <laughs> that but was we that did take funny. metric away and they have some banging music. So... <laughs> Oh my God, Luna! This has been a ton of fun. Thank you so much for joining us today. Till dusk, oh, till dawn. Dust till dawn. I saw. Ah, when you were googling, yes, you should know who she is. Oh, <laughs> she's hot. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF-1. The, the, the mindset... Hold on, we have a big plane going over. Okay. <laughs> I was like, that's really loud. They only fly too, over yeah. when we're podcasting. Only when we're podcasting. It's never of course any they other time. do. <laughs> uh, boop, boop, boop. Yeah.